Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We have some special guests with us this morning. Uh, we have a number of exchange, foreign exchange students that are with us, and uh, they wanted to be a part of the worship time and the music time with us. So they're here, but they also have a class that they want to go to. So we're going to let them go ahead. Vicki, you're going to go ahead and let But let's welcome them to the United States, will you please? A couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we had a... Um, someone from EF Language who came and was asking for people who could open up their homes and house about 20 foreign exchange students. And I just want to say, church, great job. Uh, You responded, you rallied to the occasion, and I think we got every one of them placed. Yeah, so that was very, very cool in one week's time. So thank all of you who've opened up your homes in this way. It's really, very cool. A few years ago, actually now quite a few years ago back, um, an article was written about this whole idea of practicing Random Acts of Kindness. Um, And it kind of became a buzz phrase. And um, over the years, it's just been kind of perpetuated. And the whole idea is is just doing something selflessly, some kind of an act, um, a selfless act that would somehow benefit or or somehow cheer up someone else. And typically to do it anonymously. And some practical suggestions were things like um, when you go through the toll booth, you know, pay the toll for the car behind you. Um, Or, or... You know, bury quarters in the playground sandbox for kids to find, you know. Um, or, or, or maybe send flowers to a convalescent hospital. And just kind of anonymously do some random act of kindness. And it's interesting that that all came out of this realization that our culture and our society has become less and less kind. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it seems like more and more our society and our culture is becoming increasingly rude increasingly impersonal um, and downright mean in some instances. And, and we all kind of go away from one of those kinds of experiences saying, well, man, that guy was pretty rude. You know, but we never think about ourselves. And, and I think it's a great idea, random acts of kindness. I have nothing against it. I think that is a great idea. But how much better if we would determine to have a lifestyle of kindness and patience with people? I mean, can you imagine... What a difference that would make in a world. Instead of random anonymous acts of kindness, really acting and living in a kind and patient way. What a difference I think it would make in this world. And it's really part of what God is doing in this world. And He's called us as people to be a part of that movement. It is the work of His Holy Spirit in our lives that brings about those kinds of results. And as we've been going through this series, we've been looking at what is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's outlined by Paul in the Galatian letter, chapter 5, where he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we now live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And he uses this example, this agricultural example, metaphor to to describe the process and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks that there is a part that god plays in this and there's a part that we play in this like every farmer he does a lot of work on his farm but he also knows there are things beyond his control that is up to god and so it is in each one of our lives that god is cultivating this character in each one of us 
And there are things that we can do to be a part of the process. And that's what we've been looking at each week. Not that we just take these things on and try really, really, really hard to be more loving, to be more patient, to be more kind. But to understand, as God does His work, we work it out in our lives. And it is something that God is at work doing. So this morning we're going to take a look at two more of these. Cultivating patience and kindness in a me-first world. And you look through Scripture and there's all kinds of insight and instruction on these particular things on patience and kindness. And as you study Scripture through, you find over and over again that patience and kindness are inseparable. They're linked together. Over and over, when you find one described in Scripture, you find the other one. In fact, in many ways, you could say there are two sides of the very same cord. Coin. 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 (laughs) It's going to be one of those mornings. I can tell already. And in the same way that we talked about a couple weeks ago, you look at a rainbow, and the rainbow is one thing. But there's a lot of different colors. And you never know where one color really leaves off and the next color begins. It all just kind of blends together. So it is with the fruit of the Spirit. That there's an overlap, there's a blending of all of these things that are the work of God's Spirit in our lives. And patience and kindness are two that are just so inseparably linked because they're all expressions of God's love. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul writes about love, the very first two things he says about love is love is patient and love is kind. They're linked together. You can't really have one without the other. I mean, just kind of think about it a little bit. Patience in itself is an act of kindness. Just in itself, it is others directed, which means it gets rid of the me first attitude. And if you look at at kindness, every act of kindness is going to take some time. It's It's going to require setting aside my schedule, my agenda to help somebody else. They're linked together in this way. They're expressions of love. And as they are expressions of love, they are really expressions of God's character. And that's what He's developing within us. Over and over and over again, you find in Scripture this description of God. One of them is in Psalm 145. It says, The Lord is full of loving favor and pity, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. They're linked together in in the character of God. Numerous examples of it. And you look through Scripture and you find there is, we serve a God, we follow a God who is slow to anger and abundant in kindness. From Genesis all the way through Revelation. You read some of the accounts in Genesis where, where Abraham, God comes to Abraham and says he's going to destroy because of the sinfulness and the wickedness that is so prevalent in these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just, it, it, their cup has run full, they've come to the end and there's no more chance for them anymore. And so Abraham says, but, but Lord, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? So what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Then will you destroy it? God says, no. If there are 50 righteous people in the city, I will not. So Abraham says, well, okay. How about 45? <laughs> God says, no. If there are 45 people who are righteous in that city, I will spare the whole city. So Abraham says, okay, well, let me, I'm treading on dangerous ground. I know, but how about 20? God says, okay, if there are 20... I will not destroy the city. Okay, Lord, what if there are five? (laughs) And as it turns out, there aren't. And the only ones who are spared is Abraham's nephew and his family. And they have to flee the city because of it. It's not because God is vindictive in punishment and just has a quick temper. God is patient and He has given every opportunity and every chance. You look at uh, the, the story of Jonah. He is called by God to go to Nineveh, another wicked city. And he says... God tells him, go, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach and tell the people, unless you change, unless you get things straightened out, the end is coming for you guys. 
And Jonah doesn't want to do it. He runs away. And God catches up with him. And eventually Jonah does go. And he goes through the city and he proclaims this message. And lo and behold, the whole city turns around. And Jonah gets angry. And Jonah sits outside the city and says, God, I knew you were going to do that. I just knew it. I go through there. I tell everybody, you're all going to get punished. You're all going to be destroyed. And then you don't do it because they repent. Jonah's angry because God is slow to anger. (laughs) And you see the nation of Israel called out of their captivity. And it takes them 40 years to walk what should be no more than a week, two-week journey. Why? Because God is patient. And there's a lot of learning to do in those 40 years. And even Jesus' ministry. It is 30 years before He begins His ministry. 30 years of preparation before beginning His ministry. And in fact, you read about the birth of Jesus and the coming of Christ. And it says, when the fullness of time had come. When the timing was just right. It had been thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But it wasn't time. God is incredibly patient. He is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Theologian Kasuki Koyama wrote a book called The Three Mile an Hour God. (laughs) Because three miles an hour is the pace of a walk. The average human walks at the pace of about three miles an hour. He says, that is the pace of love. That is our God. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loving kindness. And his kindness and his patience has a purpose. Paul wrote to those in Rome who were so quick to judge people and condemn them and write them off as useless. Paul wrote to them, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That's the whole purpose. God's patience is redemptive in nature. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loving kindness. And He does so and acts in this way so that we would have time to get it together. And the same thing ought to be true in our lives. That our lives ought to reflect patience and kindness to be redemptive in nature. In fact, Koyama goes on and describes not only is a three-mile-an-hour God, but at one point in human history, He came to full stop. On the cross, he stopped. And in that moment, redeemed us, rescued us, gave us new hope. God's redemptive pace is slow. And he calls us to that very same patience. His redemptive pace can become ours. But like all of these fruit that we've been talking about, it takes some weeding. And there is some weeding that needs to be done when it comes to patience and kindness. Because the single greatest threat to patience and kindness is this word hurry. Hurry is the one thing that it just it destroys patience, it destroys kindness all over the place. The pace of our life just keeps continuing to increase. Have you noticed that? We keep thinking about someday it's all going to slow down. But it doesn't. It just keeps getting faster and faster. And we have all kinds of time-saving devices now. And they don't make us more patient, they make us more impatient. You know, used to be if you wanted to do research, you had to go to the library and check out a book and read through it and pour over it and it took all kinds of time. Now you just get on the internet, instant information, whatever you're researching, it's there. Do a Google search, boom, it's there. 
And when, when the internet first came out and people had dial-up, and that was so slow because it took so long for the pages to download that you had to go from dial-up to DSL. And if you were even better at that, you could get the, the T1 line because it would be faster and faster and faster. And even still, that's not fast enough. And so when you download something from the internet, there's always a little thermometer. Why do they put a thermometer there? Have you thought about that? It's because we're impatient. It's there to tell us something's happening even though you don't see it. You know, the dial, it's coming longer and longer. We've got all these modern and convenience, time-saving conveniences, and we are more and more impatient. How about this one? Why do you think they put a closed-door button on an elevator? <laughs> we all know the door's going to close. It's automatic. Why is the closed-door button there? Does that closed-door button make us more patient? Or less patient. See, it is the pace of our lives. And it is fueled by a me-first mentality. I push the closed door button so nobody else can slow me down. It is a me-first mentality. And it hinders our spiritual growth. It is harmful to our souls. And it destroys community. And the pace of life at which we live just continues to deteriorate our quality of life. And we think if we could just find faster ways of doing things, then it would be better. And it's not. We just pack more in to our time schedules. You cannot practice kindness when all you see are faces that are a blur because you're speeding past them. You cannot. It's impossible. John Ortberg writes about a time when he he began his ministry in Chicago. And he had a very wise spiritual mentor that he contacted. And he says, you know, I'm taking this new position. It's going to be hectic and fast-paced. He says, can you give me some advice to, to nurture my own spiritual maturity and growth? And his mentor said to him, you must ruthlessly root out and eliminate hurry from your schedule. So he says, I wrote that down really fast. And said, okay, what's next? <laughs> he said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your schedule. Our society suffers from what has been called hurry sickness or busy syndrome. And we all know, we all know the symptoms of it. We do. Because we know the inner anxiety and turmoil that we feel when it starts to come on. Who do you get angry at? Do you get upset with the cars behind you or the drivers in front of you? It's the ones in front of you. You don't care what's going on behind you. It is this pace of life. And we cannot continue at that way and not think it's not going to have an impact. And over and over again, we are reminded in Scripture that the pace of life is not for us to set. Psalm 127, David wrote, Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. He says you run at this pace of life. And this was thousands of years ago. It's only gotten worse. And he says, it's vanity. You think you're going to get ahead by all of this. You think if you stay up late and get up earlier, it's going to get better. And it's not. Because unless you recognize God is in control, it's never going to get any better. Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? We are not nearly as in control as we would like to think we are. James wrote it this way. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that. Spend time there. Carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what happens tomorrow. 
And you find that throughout Scripture. It is a constant reminder. You are not in control. And all of your efforts and all of your hurrying and all of your busyness and all of your hard labor and all of your productivity, and the bottom line, it doesn't amount to much because you are not in control. The future is in God's hands. Your life is in God's hands. And each and every one of us have got to root out and weed out hurry from our lives. Now, this is not something we have not talked about here around here before. We have talked about this on many occasions. But my question to you this morning is, has anything changed? Have you done anything to change the pace of your life? Because we can talk about it week after week, month after month, year after year. But if you don't make any changes, it's never going to change. Because nobody's going to change this for you. No one will. Only you can. The good news is that you can. Patience and kindness are things that can be cultivated. They can be cultivated. The very process, in fact, of cultivation requires patience. Again, James wrote, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. He says it's all in God's hands and he's going to continue doing his work in this world and he's going to continue doing his work in your lives until Christ returns. And understand that this whole process is going to take time. Just like a farmer has to wait for the spring and summer rains. Just as the farmer has to wait for the the seed to sprout and to grow and produce fruit. Now think about that. Anybody who's ever had a garden knows you've got to water and when it's hot, you've got to water every day. Now, you don't go out to your garden and water and say, man, I don't see anything happening, so tomorrow I'm not even going to bother. You don't see anything happening. It makes you want to water and fertilize all the more because you know the nutrients that the, that plant's going to need to be able to grow. You know the water it's going to need to be able to grow. And you don't stop watering because you don't see results right away. And that's why he's saying This cultivation process means you've got to keep working at this. You've got to keep rooting out that hurry of your life. You've got to slow down and start taking things at a different pace. Because it is a cultivating thing. And that means you're not going to see the results right away. But if there's a daily intentionality about it, eventually you will begin to see some of that fruit show up in your life. You learn to wait. Brother Lawrence talked about this idea of just practicing the presence of God. It's learning to walk at the pace of God. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Now look at remain. That is a a word of waiting. (laughs) It is a word about staying and hanging around and being in the presence of. It's not rushing around. It is just simply waiting. And Jesus said, the only way you're going to bear this fruit in your life is by waiting. By waiting on me. Staying connected with me. Remaining with me. So let me give you some very, very practical suggestions. Three of them that you can take with you this morning. Maybe at least take one of them put it into practice. The first one is this. Simply slow down. Just slow down. Ecclesiastes 3 All of chapter 3, we all know it very, very well. For everything there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven. Then it goes on and there's a time for this, a time for that, a time for the other. 
over and over again. And then he ends that whole section saying, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. There is a time and a season and a rhythm and everything is beautiful in its own time. And the problem is so often that we fill our schedules up with so much that we are so busy to enjoy that time. Because while we are in the middle of this time, we are thinking about the next thing on our calendar. We're thinking about the next appointment, the next thing we got to be to, how quickly we got to get out of here because if we don't get on the road by such and such a time, we're not going to make it in time for the next event. And so we are never enjoying the moments that we are in. We're always thinking about the next one. And God says, everything is beautiful in its own time. Not the next time, not the last time, its own time. And if you don't slow down the pace of your life, you're never going to see the beauty in it. That might mean, for some of you, saying the word no. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to be at every event. You can say no. It's not that hard. Repeat after me. No. No. Oh, you don't even know that you can know how to say that word. Try it again. No. No. It's okay to say no. Now, when you say no, remember you're saying yes to some other things. So you need to be judicious in saying no. Just going around saying no is not enough. The thing is to decide, what is it that I should be doing? How is it that I should be using my time? Where should I fit these things into my schedule? And which things should I take off? It's not enough to just say no. It means an intentionality about my life that says, this is important, this is valuable, this is meaningful, this is life-giving, this I will give my time to. The other is just clutter. So learn to say no. Do one thing at a time. The Benedictine monks for centuries have practiced what is called statio. Statio is a Latin term. It means finishing one thing before starting another. It is the exact opposite of multitasking. And it might not be bad for some of us to just learn to practice statio. To finish one thing before starting another. Complete something and enjoy the moment of its time before starting something else. If we don't slow down, we will not have time for people. And what happens with that is that our lives become so filled with activity that we see people as an intrusion on our schedule. They are an interruption of our calendar. And when we start seeing people as intrusions and interruptions, something's out of whack. And, you know, so often I get a call at the office and, and so often the sentence begins with, I know you're busy, but... And every time somebody says that, I say, what am I portraying to people? I I, I ask people all the time, how you doing? How's it going? The top two answers I get all the time, either I'm busy or I'm tired. That's like the number one answer. You can ask somebody, just do an experiment sometime. Just ask people, how's it going? How you doing? I'm tired. And it's summer. Summer's supposed to be when you relax. (laughs) If we don't do it, We lose perspective. So slow down. 
Just simply slow down. Second thing you can do is establish a rhythm. Establish a rhythm. Rhythm is very, very different than time management. They are two very, very different things. Rhythm has to do with with this idea of, of renewal and replenishment. And God gave us a gift in that. He called it the Sabbath. And He said, six days you will work, and the seventh day is a Sabbath, and you will do no work. You will do no work. You will honor that and keep the Sabbath. And then Jesus came along and, and, and he was being criticized by the Pharisees because he was healing people on the Sabbath. And Jesus' answer to them was, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we have taken that sentence and made it an excuse to do whatever we want and ignore the whole idea of Sabbath. And that is not what Jesus was saying. He was not saying that the Sabbath doesn't matter. Go ahead, do what you want. Keep working all, all that you want. Keep filling your schedule. He was saying that legalistic interpretation of Sabbath is not what God intended. What God intended was rest. What God intended was rhythm. Have you ever thought about this? Seven does not divide equally into 365. That's why we have some months that are 31 days, some months that are 30 days, one month that's 28, every four years it's 29. Because seven doesn't evenly divide into 365. And I think that's on purpose. Because I think God designed us to live on a weekly schedule. Not by a clock. And there is a rhythm that we need to enforce in our lives. We need to rest every six days. And Sabbath had with it not just the idea of rest, but it had the idea of worship and celebration and community. And so Sabbath was meant to be a celebration of God's creation. That at the end of six days, God rested. And He said, this is the pattern for your life. Every seven days, every six days on that seventh day, we are to stop and to rest and reflect that God did all of His work in six days, so we can too. It is a reminder to let go of control. Because that's the illusion that we run on. If we pack our schedules and we keep a timetable and we have our palm all filled up, that we are in control. And we are not. Our palm pilot becomes in control. The clock becomes in control. And the reason I believe that God gave the Sabbath was that we would every six days remind ourselves we are not in control. It's time to give up control again. It's time to recognize God is at work. God does His work. And whatever I can do in six days, that's enough. And if I can't do it all in six days, it's still enough. And it involved worship and recognizing God's control. It involved rest from our labors. And it also involved community. The reestablishing and the reestablishing the importance of relationship. Because people are more important than things. People are more important than my palm pilot. People are more important than my day planner or day runner, which is aptly named. And Sabbath was meant to remind us of those things. And that's what Jesus meant when he said the Sabbath was made for man. It is not an excuse to ignore it. It is a reason to embrace it. And we need to learn with rhythm and live with rhythm. And then the last thing, which is connected with all of it, is take notice of people. 
Simply take notice of people. Jesus noticed people. And the reason Jesus noticed people is because he walked. (laughs) Over and over again, you read the gospel accounts and his sentences like this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man that had been blind from birth. As Jesus passed by, he noticed a man with leprosy. As Jesus was walking through the courts, he saw a man that was lame. He walked. And because he walked, the pace of his life was one in which he could notice people. And part of this idea of patience and kindness is learning to notice people. Have you ever been in a restaurant and had a waitress who was busy, you know, and you wanted like a second cup of coffee, and, and you're trying to catch her attention, but she's running from table to table, and you, you know, all oh, I want is a cup of coffee. She, her business is to wait on you. That is her job. That's the title. Waitress. Waiter. And yet, they're too busy. They can't wait for you. You don't notice people when you're speeding by them. The very first ministry position I ever had, I was a youth pastor up in Oregon. And the senior pastor that I worked in, one of the first words of advice he ever gave me was, walk slowly. Whatever you do, walk slowly. I didn't know what he meant at the time. But I realized... Even then, back in my 20s, the pace of my life was I rushed from one thing to another. He says, if you're ever going to do ministry, you got to walk slowly. And when you walk slowly, you begin to notice. And what you notice is people with need. And then your acts of kindness become not random acts to strangers that you'll never meet, never know, never realize what kind of an impact you had on them. They will be Acts of kindness that meet real needs for real people. Because maybe that person in the car behind you does not need his bridge toll paid. Maybe he needs something else. Maybe the kids in the playground don't need to find a quarter in the sandbox. Maybe they need something else. And you will never discover what that is until you begin to take notice of the people. And that's what acts of kindness are all about. They are not meant to be random. They are meant to be lifestyles. Paul wrote, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And throughout the New Testament, there's a whole list of one another's. And all of those one another's require that you take time to notice people. And when you do that, you begin to see them from a different perspective. And I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, Love your enemies, do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And he goes on and says, If you do this, you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. See, when you start noticing people, you see them through different eyes. And you see them not as an enemy so much as someone in need. And so when you love them and when you give to them and when you lend to them without expecting anything in return, You are acting like your heavenly father because that's what he does. He sees beyond our sin and our guilt and he sees our need. And when you practice that, you are being just like your father in heaven. Patience and kindness are not an option. They are standard equipment. And it is up to you and I to cultivate a lifestyle that allows those things to take root and bear fruit in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me?
The Apostle Peter wrote these words. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. The fact that God has been patient with us and kind to us and what we have experienced because of that requires, demands that we live that kind of life to those around us. So just as a quick closing, kind of a self-evaluation, think about your own life. What could you do to become a little more patient, a little more kind? It might mean saying no to some things and know why you're saying no. It might mean just taking a little bit slower pace throughout your life. Giving more attention to rhythm and less to the clock. Might require noticing other people and acting in ways that would be helpful to them. Lord, these two might be the toughest of all for us because everything about our culture and our society is so fast-paced. And we are used to living at that pace and we don't even notice it anymore. But we feel the pressure and the stress and the anxiety that, tur- that just rumbles in our soul because we know we're not living at the pace we should. So our prayer this morning is Help us to slow down. Remind us when we wake up tomorrow morning, before we even get out of bed, to just simply acknowledge, Lord, today is your day. And may the pace of my life and the way that I act bring honor to you and bring kindness to our world. And then throughout the day, remind us of that prayer. (laughs) And when we get in those stressful situations, step back and realize we're not in control and you are when we are hurt or harmed by an enemy to return with kindness because we want to be like you. These are not things that we can do in our own strength. We fully acknowledge them. They are the things that only you can grow in us. But we want to be faithful in doing our part. So remind us of these things. Bring those changes to our lives and let us live a little more kindly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.